You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. Grilling season is here, and you may be looking for the perfect wine pairing for your delicious summer cooking. The Federalist offers a lineup of American craft wines that are bold, full-bodied, and crafted with as much quality and character as the men they celebrate. Each bottle featuring audacious takes on traditional styles. The Federalist is the perfect companion to anything that you're grilling up tonight. You can use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For the Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Beth Santos. Wonderful started to move into the space of community support network but also a little bit of advocacy and saying, how can we make the travel industry better? How can we make it so that it speaks to a wider swath of women and that supports women worldwide? Beth Santos is a serial entrepreneur and community builder out to disrupt travel for women worldwide. She is the founder and CEO of Wonderful, a global lifestyle brand and inclusive community of thousands of travelers and travel content creators. Wonderful reaches over 45,000 women each year through a thriving online membership network, local chapter events in 50 cities, global summits, and small group trips. In 2014, Wonderful launched the Travel Creator and Brand Summit, a leading event for women and gender-diverse travel creators. 
Beth is also the co-founder of At The Table, a national movement to support female founders. Today, Beth is an acclaimed thought leader, a consultant for travel businesses, and a keynote speaker who has spoken to audiences like TripAdvisor, Girl Scouts of the USA, and the Travel Adventure Show. Please enjoy my conversation with Beth Santos. Beth, how are you? Gosh, I'm so good. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for being on to dine for the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am like not totally on my game today because this afternoon we're traveling. Like we're going to Monaco, the whole family. (laughs) So I'm packing for four people, like which you know very well, but like I've never packed for an international trip for four people. So I'm like, oh, okay, we need like snacks. We need like water bottles for the girls. We need like all the little versus just packing for yourself, which is like nothing. I don't know if you got the this like magical memo that's going on in my life. I am the godmother of a cruise ship. Oh my gosh. And what does being a godmother of a cruise ship look like? It means that I'm going to go to christen a new ship in the fleet of ships. It's the cruise line is Azamara. Okay. Yes. And they spun off Royal Caribbean a couple of years ago. It's a woman led organization. They have a senior team that's very heavily women focused and, and people of color, which is amazing. And they have somebody go who is usually it's a celebrity who like cracks the champagne bottle over the bow of the ship and makes a speech, but they wanted to shake things up and they wanted to work with somebody who they felt was doing the work in the industry to make travel better. And so they called me up. So how are your skills of taking a champagne bottle and smashing it against something? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're going to find out. We're going to find out. That would give me a little anxiety. I don't know if I, 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 I like, would be worried I that suppose, I didn't. Oh, yeah. There's a rehearsal. Yeah, so, there should yeah, be. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, am I actually smashing it? Am I just opening it? Is somebody going to open it for me? Because what if there's like a disaster and I yeah. open it and someone? Yeah. So there are many questions that will be <laughs> answered during the rehearsal. Well, I usually start this podcast by asking the guests their favorite restaurant. You live in Boston, which is where I'm from. So oh. my question to you is, where is your favorite restaurant? Well, it's funny that you mention Boston because my favorite restaurant is in Chicago. Oh, where? It's Carnival. Yes. Soup, which is a, it's actually where I got married. So it's, it's also my favorite restaurant for that reason, but it is a really cool, like Latin American fusion circus, yes. Samba, yes. huge place with like acrobats and also brightly colored walls and honestly some of the best food I've ever had and I just love it's so filled with joy and I love restaurants not just for their food but their ambiance I think having yes. a joyful ambiance is a totally. really special thing and I just love that people come together and they instantly feel that when they walk into carnival and it's colorful and it's bright and it's fun and it's a celebration and you, it's like a friday night you, something great just happened let's all go to carnival Exactly. Oh, what a, what a great spot. That is, that's a, I love it. I love it. That says a lot about you, Beth. I know maybe too much. Yeah. (laughs) No, it can never be too much. No, everyone should check it out for sure. Mm -hmm. What were you doing before you started to create wonderful? What was your skill set? What were you thinking you were doing? And then how did you make the shift into starting this online community? 
Well, you know, when I started Wonderful, it's actually this fantastical journey that I've been on because when I started it initially, I started as a blog in 2009. I was living in a country called Sao Tome and Principe, which is a Portuguese speaking country off the west coast of Africa. And I was fresh out of college. I graduated with an art history degree in 2008. It was not a good time to graduate from college, and it was a terrible time to graduate with an art history degree, which doesn't really get you many places in life. So I moved to D.C. I was very interested in my Portuguese heritage. I speak fluent Portuguese. I studied abroad in Portugal for a year. I ended up working at the embassy of Portugal, and it was at a picnic like people do in D.C. that I met the former director of the Peace Corps in Sao Tome, who had extra rooms in his home and opened them to volunteers that worked for his nonprofit. So at 22 years old, with basically no job prospects, I was like, sure, I'll move to a country I've never heard of and just live there in exchange for room and board. And I did. So I moved to Sao Tome. And that was really where the wonderful journey began. Wait, wait, okay. So wait a minute. He offered you at first blush, this sounds a little scary. So he offers you a room in in his home and in in exchange for what are you to study there? Are you to write? What are you to do there? (laughs) I literally replay the story in my head (laughs) as a parent now. And I'm like, horrified, right? Like there is no... (laughs) Nothing sounds right about this. Like, oh, I'm going to move in with this older man who, but you know, it's Ned Seligman who has since passed on is an incredibly, was an incredibly respected professional in his space. He ran the Peace Corps in Sao Tome until the 90s. And then the Peace Corps pulled out for any number of reasons because Sao Tome wasn't a focus for them. And he decided to stay there and he basically dedicated his life to an organization that he started up called Sao Tome and Principe Union for Promotion and did everything from literacy projects to computer learning to microfinance to really everything and had built a house with extra bedrooms, lived there by himself. But what were you to do there? What, what was your role there? I didn't know until I got there, but my role was <laughs> to volunteer with his organization. <laughs> I had a friend who had just done it and came back with rave reviews. So I had exactly one review. <laughs> okay, so did you have a set time? Did you say, okay, I'm going to move to Sotome for six months, for a year? For, for, it was for the summer initially. Okay, okay. And then I can I, see I this came now. back and forth. Okay, yeah, so at first yeah. it was just this wonderful adventure, right? Like yes. you were going um, on a wonderful adventure to yeah. this random place on earth where you would learn and you would travel. Okay, take me from there. So obviously you got the travel bug. I get, (laughs) I obviously get the travel bug and start to write about my time. So I'm living, I mean, I am living hyper-locally in Sao Tome. I get my motorcycle license so I can drive to school every day. I'm teaching at a middle school. I'm teaching computer science at a middle school of 105th and 6th graders. And I think that particular type of travel where I was living very hyper-locally you know, and, and what does hyper locally mean? Meaning I wasn't, you know, staying at a hotel. And, right. Got it. You know, got it. You were out. living like a local. I was living so much like a local that I had a job, had a driver's license, was cooking, you know, living in a house, cooking my own food. And, and in, in a place like Sao Tome, where at the time, even now, but at the time, very little tourism industry. So mm-hmm. So when you came, for example, when you get to the airport, somebody better be picking you up because there's no 
no Uber, no taxi, no Uber. There's like maybe one motorcycle taxi, you know, so there's not, there's some Portuguese tourists that would go. But so when I say hyper-local, it's like local, but to a degree of, they don't even get travelers really that much. They didn't at the time anyway. And just started, and I think because of that type of experience, I became very aware of a lot of things very fast, like not only what it was to be a traveler living in a place, but also what it was to be a woman really experiencing what it meant to be a woman locally, you know, to see in the life of a local woman and what her life was like. And that got me really thinking about the fact that women's experiences when we travel are really different. And when I say different, I don't necessarily just mean different from men. I mean, in every place that we go, we have to fit into different social norms, different gender expectations, different dress expectations. And there wasn't really, there was no playbook, you know, it was yes. kind of, you show up and you figure out how it's supposed to be and, and, and how you can expect to be treated in this place. And so I just started to write about it, you know, my deep experiences, my thoughts, my tips and advice. And I think from there, we really started to realize I built an editorial team. I start using we, I found a whole bunch of people on Craigslist who are all traveling as well. These are like fantastical stories. I tell you that like turned out to reality. Found a group of people on Craigslist who are all women traveling the world, wanting to share their own stories, created an online magazine of women sharing their experiences and realized that it wasn't actually the hard tips that we were looking for. We were just looking for a support network. We were looking a community. For- a community, other women who can say, I've been there. I totally know what you mean. Or absolutely, you should go for it. Because up until this point, there's a few avenues that women take into travel. One of the most popular is you read something like Eat, Pray, Love or Wild. And you're <laughs> like, I want to go on this. Sure. Well, the Eat, Pray, Love story is not everybody's story. And, mm-hmm. and there's really only two stories that we're told when we talk about travel. Either it is the Eat, Pray, Love story, which is like, I'm going to go on this magical adventure and eat tons of Brazilian food and uh, Italian food and meet a gorgeous Brazilian man and, and go on this, you know, ride a white horse into the sunset. Or it's you're going to get killed abroad and your family is going to be looking for you. So there's there's no gray area. There is no gray area. And I think that was the thing that really pushed this forward is women actually dominate travel. We make so many of the travel decisions. We travel more than men do more frequently and more of us. And yet the stories that we're told are so different from each Mm. other, so disparate that there's not really a realistic look, in my opinion, of what it is to be a woman traveling and what it is to be a a number of different types of women traveling. You know, when we do talk to women, we're often talking to a very small subset of women that tend to be young, able-bodied, white, English-speaking, Western women and not the whole rest of the world of women. So Wonderful started to move into the space of community, support network, but also a little bit of advocacy and saying, how can we make the travel industry better? How can we make it so that it speaks to a wider swath of women and that supports women worldwide? And that's really a step at a time. You know, I I worked on the blog for many years just as a blog, moved to Chicago, was working at Rotary International as a grant officer, which was fun. Ended up getting my MBA in social enterprise and um, entrepreneurship over at Kellogg. Realized I was actually sitting on a business this whole time Mm. and incorporated Wonderful as a company and left my job and have been doing this full time ever since. 
Okay. This is, well, first of all, and congratulations on all your success. It's been fun to watch you because I have known you since uh, the early days of Wonderful, and it really is amazing to see how it's grown and how you've been able to launch it into a summit. You've got the Bessie Awards, you've got At the Table. There's a lot of different components to what you're doing. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute, but first, thank you to our sponsors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm or your life, You can count on your local American national agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American national companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Grilling season is here, and you may be looking for the perfect wine pairing for your delicious summer cooking. The Federalist offers a lineup of American craft wines that are bold, full-bodied, and crafted with as much quality and character as the men they celebrate. Each bottle featuring audacious takes on traditional styles. The Federalist is the perfect companion to anything that you're grilling up tonight. You can use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. When you have this online community and blog, how do you then make it, turn it into a business? And what was your MO from that point? You know, it's interesting, Creed, because since I went through a traditional business education as well, I sort of saw things from the other side. Usually when businesses start, you start with an idea, which you formulate into a problem. Business school teaches you, you know, okay, think about, you know, problem. What are you solving? What is the problem I'm solving? And who am I solving that problem for? 
Now, when you start as a blog, you're actually starting from a different place because that problem is for sure somewhere in there, but you're actually starting with the community first. Mm -hmm. And so we had built this readership and we built this, you know, a Facebook group that we had and the problem was there, but it had never been really verbalized of, you know, now today the problem is a lack of representation, lack of support uh, among women who want to travel, especially alone. But at that point, it was just a feeling. Yes. But it started with a customer in ways that traditional businesses don't, right? Mm-hmm. Usually you start with your problem, then you have to find your customer and right. kind of learn there. It's almost started with a more authentic place. Almost, yes. Yeah. I, w- I would argue so, because yeah. you start with the people who are willing to buy and you build something for them, you know, you build something for them. And so I think it took different steps, I think, than other businesses do, because we had to come to this place of, okay, well, how are we actually serving the need and how are we actually monetizing that and creating a sustainable business model, which I think is always a question. And it actually is something that led us into creating, it's like creating the answer for ourselves, which is a conference that we run called WITS which is for travel content creators. And the reason we created that is because masters of community that we are, we noticed that not only were we going through this experience of we have a community, how do we monetize it? But this is actually a wave that so many other digital content creators had been experiencing of, I started a blog, I started a podcast, I started a video series, but then, you know, then what, what do I do? How do I partner with brands? How do I and it's a fascinating industry because you're literally building the segment of the industry as you go. You know, mm-hmm. every time you advocate for a sponsorship of your content, you are opening doors for other people behind you to then get sponsorship of their content to build a business out of out of what they're creating. So it's a really exciting time. And we had basically brought a whole bunch of people together who are all experiencing it at the same time, created a conference called WITS, have been running that since 2014. And so I think it's it's been this sort of um, like intrapreneurship of identifying our own problems, creating communities around those things, and then monetizing those. It's very meta, <laughs> but that's really how we've evolved as a business is just constantly looking at, okay, what are the blind spots that we have? What are the gaps here? And what value are we creating that somebody would be willing to pay for? And it's allowed Waterfall to grow in a lot of ways and pivot in a lot of ways. What have you learned that you share with content creators who are trying to monetize their knowledge, their experience, their influence? One of the best classes that I ever took in business school was a sales class. And I say this because I think, especially, you know, this might be a generalization, but I think in communities of women, sales is not looked super positively on. It feels kind of dirty. It doesn't feel like very authentic. And, and I have personally had a hard time with it, but the thing I've learned about sales is that you have to understand, deeply understand what somebody's need is and what value you can offer and learn how to communicate that. And in my opinion, sales is probably the most important skill set that a person can have for creating a business because you're not, you're not just selling a product you're selling to the people that you hire, you're selling to the community of supporters, you're selling to your partners, you know, everyone that is involved in your vision and your dream, you are selling to them. And I think that's something that I love to share with creators, because to the point I made earlier of, we are literally building the industry that we operate in. You also have to sell it. (laughs) You're going to have to sell the industry you're operating in too. You know, you have to 
constantly share the value and understand the value and not just to, you know, that horn over and over, but understand how am I going to communicate this effectively to the other person? And I think sometimes it's not just about, you know, I also have a cafe and I compare this a lot of times to selling a cup of coffee. We all have established the value of a cup of coffee. We know what a cup of coffee is. We're willing to pay a certain amount for it. We know what we're going to get out of it. Digital is a whole different world where you have to say, this is what I think this is worth. This is what I think I am worth. This is why I think you should think this. And this is how much I'm going to charge you for it. And you all have to come to an agreement. And so I think, you know, when you're building a business as a digital content creator, being able to really understand the other side of what that person is looking for and what's valuable to them will allow you to create that value and to communicate that really effectively. And that's a super important skill. No, that you bring up a great point. And it is, it it really does come down to sales because someone can be an amazing uh, content creator. They can be great at communicating ideas, but if they can't sell their value and what they bring, then really uh, where are they going to go from a business perspective, right? Exactly. Uh, How how difficult have the the past two years been for you? And have you still had your conferences? Have you still carried on in the midst of this pandemic? Well, it's definitely been a hard couple of years for a lot of people in the travel industry. That's for sure. I think, though, you know, it's interesting because two months before the pandemic in January of 2020, I was on stage at the Travel and Adventure Show, which is a major in New York City. show. they now operate in New York City, but then they didn't yet. Okay, they were in 10 other cities across the U.S. And I was on stage and I was talking about how travel only consists of three things, challenging your preconceptions, trying something new and getting uncomfortable. And I sort of said to the audience, you know, in a very facetious way, like, I don't want you to think about how far you can travel. I want you to think about how close you can stay to home and still feel the lessons that travel can teach you. Ooh, that's still good. feel like you're having a travel experience. Yes. And yeah, well, so then we actually got, you know, that challenge <laughs> brought to us two months later. So you're the reason. <laughs> I know, everyone can blame me. I'm sorry I said that. But, you know, it was interesting because the other thing that had happened at that time was we had launched an online membership community for Waterfall. And we hadn't gone into membership before. We were mostly focused on our events like WITS and a couple other things. Our chapters, we have 50 chapters all around the world. And but we had this idea of, you know, let's create an online space where women can connect with each other, share travel tips, you know, meet each other, get off Facebook groups, like do something that's our own space. And, and it was fine. It was going okay. And then one day in March of 2020, the engagement just skyrocketed. And I look and like suddenly, you know, we used to have five to six people coming to our virtual events on Zoom. It was like 50 to 60 people, you know, we had really because of the pandemic, because we realized that the women who are wonderful love travel so much that when they stopped, they missed it. And they needed somebody to connect with about that. They wow. needed somebody to say, I was supposed to go on this trip and it got canceled and wow, it's going to be my 50th birthday. And now what am I going to do? They needed to feel like they were still going on adventures. We had language classes. We had dance. We had somebody in Edinburgh do a Scottish Highlands dance class. We did. I did a Portuguese cooking class and like went to the grocery store back when we were all like, scared to go to the grocery store, we venture <laughs> off, get our ingredients, come back. And I do like this big old Portuguese cooking class for everybody. We realized that travel can happen even right from your own home, but it took us to get to that point. And so I think that, you know, was it a hard two years? Absolutely. But did it teach us a lot about 
the ways we could create community and the ways we could facilitate travel in the most unexpected way possible. Yes. And I think that was really neat for us. Okay. So that's fantastic. So really what it did was it deepened your viewership, your listenership, who is actually a part of the community. But from a financial standpoint, you weren't able to have your conferences, right? Or how nope. were you? <laughs> no, from a financial standpoint, we were hurting. Okay. We had to, we had all of our sponsors pulled out wow. because they all ran out of money. Sure. You know, so they all were coming, knocking on our door. We kept the, the conferences going, but we did them virtually. Great. And that's actually stayed. They're hybrids now. So yeah, I mean, it, it was it was tough those first few months. But then we got together as a team and we said, are we an event planning company or are we a community? You know, and can you have community in other ways? Absolutely. And so all of our events started going into that virtual space. We hosted multiple conferences completely virtually. And we're just actually doing the very first in-person one in a lot in almost three years. And where is that? It is in Kansas City. Amazing. Well, that's awesome. And so, you know, in the midst of all of this, as if you didn't have enough to do, you open a coffee shop. (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? I did. Yeah. Well, actually, I bought a coffee shop. I took over someone else's coffee shop. Yeah. Yes. And, and what, okay, what's, what, you know, because really you at the heart, you're a serial entrepreneur, you're a traveler, <laughs> yes. you're a mom, you have two children, correct? Yes. You know, I'm really fascinated through with everything you have to do, what inspired your decision <laughs> to buy a coffee shop? You know, I, I think you say serial entrepreneur, I say serial community builder, and I love okay. bringing people together. I love hosting people. And my husband and I moved to our neighborhood of Jamaica Plain in Boston a few years ago. And one thing that we noticed that was missing from our area was a cafe, was a place that we could gather. You know, there was one cafe in the area that had been going. It was a few minutes away from us. Everything else, we needed a gathering place. And I don't know, it could have been the pandemic that got us thinking about it more. We had actually been thinking about it pre-pandemic and had opted out the cost of, you know, rent in Boston is just obscene. And we're like, there's no way we'll survive, okay, you know, selling coffee with this kind of rent. And then during the pandemic, our favorite cafe, the one, the only other one, went up for sale. And it's a community cafe that's been operating since 2007. What's it called? It's called Ula, Ula Cafe. Ula. LA. And it was Ula when you bought it and it's still Ula. It Ula okay. from the day it started and it's changed hands a couple times. So I don't even think of myself as the owner. I think of myself as like the lighthouse keeper, you know, like Ula will live on, but we are just the caretakers at this moment in time. You know, somebody will be the caretaker after us. I believe that. And it's so embedded in the community that the community has very strong opinions about everything from the menu to the design to, you know, it's it's Boston, like like moving into your parents' house. And they're like, why did you put that painting there? That's snow. And you're like, this is my place now. You know, that's basically how it is. So, but no, but we love it. And I, and I think that's, you know, we wanted a community gathering place. We wanted a place for open mics. And, and so we just took it out. And, and by the way, I left out one very important detail, which is we were introduced to a chef named Kelly, who's our business partner, who actually is the one who knows what she's doing and runs the cafe where I do the fun stuff like the marketing and the less fun stuff like the finances. 
But if it weren't for that introduction, there's no way we would have made the jump. I mean, I've never had a cafe before. I don't have that experience, but I do love bringing people together and I love creating community. And that's where I came in. Well, this is really fascinating because I I can't think of a better education in business than just finding a place to buy and going through everything that you need to know about running a business. And you really are learning it on the fly, aren't you? Every aspect of it. And even even though you went to business school, even though you have this online community, wonderful, but to to, to something, a brick and mortar store is its own animal. Yeah, it's very different. What has been the biggest challenge? For us, it's just kind of learning, learning the trends, I think, and knowing what to expect. You know, we're many cafes are very seasonal businesses. Running a cafe during a pandemic is a whole other situation, right? I mean, there was periods of time where we didn't have any indoor seating, you know, that we had limited hours, that we had employees calling out due to COVID, and then we'd have to close down the whole place and sanitize everything. And, So I think there's been an adjustment and it's kept us from being able to learn the trends in the business of what's normal, what's to be expected, you know, how is this? And so I think once we get a better grasp of that, things will be much smoother, which are still a good year out because we're still kind of in it in, in the pandemic. But I think that that has been it, you know, and kind of understanding. I mean, when we came in as owners, we joined up in June which was the height of the season, right? We have a big patio, we have people coming. We were like, oh, this is great. We're like bringing in so much money. We're buying stuff that's really expensive because we figured this is awesome. And then the weather starts getting colder and we're like, oh no, where did all that money go that we thought we had, you know? And just learning the seasonality of a business and understanding so that you can plan, okay, the summer's gonna be really busy. So let's, you know, save up this much so that in the winter we have enough to take care of payroll, da, da, da all of those things, you know, and it's very economical, right? The cost, you're looking at literally the cost of each ingredient per serving and how it adds up to, you know, but but I also love that. I think that that's so different from Wonderful's business where you can literally look at very tangible things and say, these are our expenses, a piece of lettuce, a piece of cheese, this is how much it costs. This is the margin. This is how much we're selling it for. This is the amount of time it costs to repair it. That's a very different world than digital marketing and and online communities. Okay, so where you sit now, you're on your way to Monaco uh, very soon. You are currently the founder and CEO of Wonderful, and you've got this side hustle as a a coffee shop owner. Uh, What is next for you? And and how are you tying all of this together? Give me the vision. Oh man, what is next? You know, I, I'm living my best life, I think is next. (laughs) I'm just, I'm doing, you know, it's, you know, it's funny because it sounds, it does sound very, everything cobbled together. Sometimes I look at the things I decide to do. And then it's like 10 years later, you kind of look back and you go, ah, okay. Now it all makes sense. Ah, I believe strongly in bringing people together. I believe strongly in DEI, in bringing communities together that might not have otherwise connected. I feel strongly about supporting women. And Wonderful will be my life. I can see myself working for Wonderful for the rest of my life. And that that was actually a really exciting discovery because for a while we had gone down the path of raising money and bringing in investors. And one day I looked at Marissa, who's our COO, and I said to her, you know, Marissa, I kind of want to do this job for the rest of my life. I don't really want to sell it. And she said, me too. And I was like, well, then what are we doing here? You know, what are we trying, why are we trying to grow something and sell it? 
So we're going to do it, you know, operate it as a lifestyle business, continue building our community, continue building our chapters. I'm writing a book, which is exciting that will be out in about a year and a half and really sharing that message. You know, there are so many stories that need to be told to help women feel confident to get out there and feel supported. And if we can do that in our own way, that's that's really powerful for us. Well, cheers to you. The next time we're in Chicago, next time you're in Chicago, we're going to have drinks at Carnival. Deal? Yes, that would be great. I'd love that. (laughs) I love I love hearing your meandering journey and your why, which you were able to articulate so well in this past half hour. Thank you so much, Beth. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at To Dine For TV and Facebook at To Dine For with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For the Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 